the government's made this pledge. It said it's going to halve inflation. It expected inflation to halve itself naturally. We get into the middle of the year and it's still 8%. So yeah, they want to distract attention from their own failures or from the Bank of England's failures. And at the end of the year, if they haven't made this pledge, they want to be able to blame someone else. Supermarket profits are driving higher fuel prices. That's according to a new study by the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. This comes amid a growing chorus of claims across the economy about profiteering businesses and so-called greedflation that is the real reason why prices have been remaining so high. But do these claims really stack up? Welcome back to the IEA podcast. I'm Matthew Lesh and I'm the Director of Public Policy and Communications here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalising policy question to a top political thinker. Today's question, is greedflation driving higher prices? To discuss, I'm excited to be joined by the IEA's own Christopher Snowden, who's our Head of Lifestyle Economics, and he's been writing about this topic just this week. So Chris, let's start off with the specific issue that's driven the, the discussion this week, which is the CMA, the August Competition Regulator in the UK, claiming that profiteering is resulting in higher fuel prices. What is the CMA getting at here? Well, their argument is that um, the, you, you, you get inflation, you have higher oil prices. You've see, obviously seen this many times before. Oil prices go up, petrol prices go up. And there's always a suspicion, isn't there, that the petrol prices are not coming down quite as quickly as they should be. And I think there's probably an element of truth in that from time to time. It will depend, obviously, how much competition there is in a certain area. And the CMA acknowledges that in rural areas you're going to get higher prices and you know, if you have less competition or more competition, it's obviously going to change. But that really just proves that it's a competitive market, right? But they're actually saying that the, the competition is it's not non-existent, but it's weakening. And they're not just talking about the usual thing where oil prices go up and down and people don't see the petrol prices follow as quickly as they think um, they should follow. They're saying that there's been a fundamental breakdown, really, in the system that goes back to around about 2020, during the start of the pandemic, basically. And their claim is, specifically, they point the finger at Asda. They acknowledge that Asda sells the cheapest petrol and diesel anywhere, most of the time, generally speaking. Right? And they accept that Asda still does sell the cheapest <laughs> fuel, even now. But that they are charging a bit more, they're a bit closer to their competitors than they otherwise would be in the counterfactual that the CMA has designed for itself. And that as a result, because Asda essentially, in their view, sets the mark. The other supermarkets are also charging, in their view, 6p on average, more than they should be. So it's, it's kind of a bit of a deductive claim. It, prices have gone up, pr profit margins, at least in some cases, have gone up, and therefore um, the evidence is that there's lack of competition. Now what, now, what you're looking at, though, is what the supermarkets claim in response. What was their explanation for it? Well, they said a couple of things. They said, firstly, that... Um, the, the, uh, the people are not coming in to the stores as much as they used to. They say that the, one of the main ideas of having the lowest petrol prices in town is that you lure people in, they fill up the car, and they do their grocery shopping while they're there. And they're saying people aren't doing that as much as they used to, so they're not bothering so much with keeping low prices. This is this is like how supermarkets keep prices of milk and bread low, so people come in and buy other things. You know, this is their kind of cross subsidisation. Yeah, like well, that's their, that's their really their second. Actually, that's their second explanation. This is slightly different in that they're saying we're luring people in with the cheap petrol, then they go shopping, mm. but people aren't doing that so much anymore. And that fits because we're talking 2020, and people weren't doing. 
doing that, right? The, the demand for petrol and diesel collapsed because people weren't driving anywhere near enough as much, and the amount of online shopping rocketed and the amount of in-store shopping declined. So you can see logically why that would be the year where you might see a change there, right? So that's consistent with, with their view. It's not really consistent with the CMA's view, which is that these um, companies are basically exploiting inflation because there wasn't any inflation in, in 2020. Their second argument, which you already alluded to, which is very similar, it comes down to cross-subsidising their groceries. They say that the market for food um, is fiercer than ever, competition is fiercer than ever, particularly with Aldi and, and Lidl coming in, and therefore they're decided to charge a bit more for the petrol and diesel so they can charge less for the food. Now, if that's true, and again, I would say it's fairly plausible, you'd think people would actually welcome that, right? We're trying to get people to drive less and we're trying to keep the cost of food down. Um, so that's their arguments. The CMA essentially dismisses really both those arguments. On the first point, they say that the halo effects, for some reason they call it the halo effect. So you get a good reputation for selling cheap petrol and then people want to shop at your store. I don't think it's really that. I think it's just the convenience, really. You get people there and they go, well, I might as well do my shopping. But anyway, call it what you like. They accept that there is a halo effect. They accept that the response of the supermarkets to the halo effect dropping off could mean that margins would increase by two, two and a half P, but they say, well, the actual margin increase is six P, so that can't be the full explanation. Okay, could go along with that up to a point. On the cross-subsidy point, they just say, that's just not our problem. We're not interested. We're here yeah. to look at the price of petrol and diesel. We're not here to look at food at this moment this in time. Is, this so is, we're just going to ignore it. This is the classic CMA approach, which is they, they define a market in whatever way they choose. And you can, yeah. if you define a market narrowly enough, yeah. you can end up with uh, an absurd conclusion, like, right. like they've done in some of the digital and tech cases. Yeah. I mean, I get the sense of the CMA that uh, effectively they're, they're kind of have an, an almost an ideological approach on these issues. And it's easy to kind of fit the evidence to the, the outcome you want to see. So the CMA's view is there's an issue with competition in these markets, that that's explains the high prices. They're not that interested in the, you know, the fundamental underlying, you know, quite local dynamics in, you know, each, potentially each individual supermarket and what they're facing in their competitive pressures. Um, and they're not interested in any, any other explanations. They're just interested in kind of whacking businesses mm. on claims of, we think prices should be this. It seems, it seems, I mean, the same doesn't have the power to set prices, of course, maybe thank goodness for that, but it seems like that, that's the kind of message here, which is, you know, the CMA can analyze the competitive dynamics and then maybe the CMA should be setting the prices or, you know, and there are, in fact, um, the, the newspaper this week had a report suggesting that two thirds of the country mm. wants um, uh, the price setting to be lower. Now, of course, that means two thirds of the country wants huge shortages yeah. and uh, massive, <laughs> so beyond stagflation, like, the like starvation, starvation, <laughs> indeed, yeah, mass stag or mass kind of Venezuelan style policy. Yeah, it's very worrying that people are so ignorant that they would go along with that, and that's not even the first survey that's found that. There was another one a few weeks earlier that um, showed again two thirds of people want price caps. Look, the government isn't helping with this by blaming the inflation on profiteering. The government, in my view, is trying to distract, well, doing two things. One, it's panicking like crazy because it's one of its key pledges is to halve inflation and it doesn't actually have the tools to do that beyond kind of restraining public sector pay, which probably isn't going to make a lot of difference. So they're panicking that they're not going to uh, achieve, achieve this. Yeah, and of course the government wants to blame somebody else for the fact that prices are higher than they would like. Right, yeah, the government's made this pledge. It said it's gonna halve inflation. It expected inflation to halve itself naturally. We get into the middle of the year and it's still 8%. So yeah, they wanna distract attention from their own failures or from the Bank of England's failures. And at the end of the year, if they haven't made this pledge, they wanna be able to blame 
someone else. Yeah, and, and of course, the government's response is at least, thank goodness, in this specific case, is not price controls, but it's this idea of having um, some kind of price comparison website. What do you make of that? I mean, surely that's pro-consumer in a way. It's a good idea, but it's such a good idea that someone else has already done it. Right? <laughs> so there's a website called, I think it's petrolprices.com, has one and a half million users. It's free to use. It, it crowdfund, uh, sorry, crowdsources information about, uh, about petrol diesel prices from about 8,000 um, pumps, and it works fine. I mean, one and a half million users isn't everybody, but I mean, to be honest, most people know where the cheap petrol is in their area, right? Once, if you're a motorist and you've lived somewhere for any length of time, you know where the cheap petrol is, and it's usually Asda or Tesco's, yeah. right? It's not a particularly complex um, riddle to solve. So, yeah, it looks like the government is now going to spend taxpayers' money duplicating something that civil society has already done quite effectively. It will probably do it worse. It's also making at least hints about some sort of fuel price regulator or at least someone to oversee fuel prices. So, look, it's making these, and this is not the first you know, time it's done this with, with prices, trying to blame industry for, for inflation and, and threatening some, it's like the voluntary price cap it was talking about a few weeks ago. These are you know, incoherent ideas, really. It shows you how desperate the government is to um, as we say, either, either get people to, to focus on something else or, 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 or I don't know what. But you know, they're desperately scrambling around, aren't they, to try and deal with the issue. And they are resorting to populist ideas, basically. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're pandering to ignorance. And you know, it's it's a shocking state of affairs that two thirds of people in a modern, you know, civilized society want the government to cap prices. It shows how little people know about economics. Maybe that's a failure of think tanks like ours and the education system. But the government shouldn't be pandering to it. The government should be saying very clearly, look, that is the last thing we're gonna do, because if you have that, you're gonna see shortages, like Israel have currently got shortages for milk. Because Israel have not only got um, price caps for milk, they've also got imports. Uh, quotas, you know, suicidal economic policies, and yet they keep happening again and again and again. You saw all this kind of profiteering talk, and 18 months ago under Biden in America, you started getting people in the Guardian saying, firstly, oh, this is profiteering, and then you get people a few weeks later going, the answer is price caps. You can see how this is very tempting to people who don't know their economic history, um, but it really uh, obviously is not going to work. The whole idea of profiteering. Like a priori is just unlikely, right? Because why weren't they profiteering three years ago? Why weren't they profiteering yeah. five well, years ago? Why did businesses suddenly become yeah. greedy and, and right. wanting to maximise the margins? You know, it's it, the only reason in, in any case where they're, they're going to have increased their margin if that has happened. So I think there's two issues here. There's one all these cases in which um, once you get into the microeconomics of it, these claims are profiteering actually just don't stack up. And the best case of this is probably less so. The fuel prices, there's probably a slightly better argument there. Um, as you've said, for more complex reasons, it's unlikely that the case that there's significant profiteering going on. But in the case of um, food prices, it's it's an absolutely absurd claim because what, what people do by the looks of it is they say, oh, well, so the input prices for grain have come down on the global market. Um, why hasn't the cost of bread come down? Well, it's, <laughs> it's an absurdity, right? Because how much of the cost... a bit of a lag there, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not just that there's a bit of a lag. It's like how much of the cost of bread is the, the global mm. market cost right. of wheat. Yeah. Most, like 
percent plus is the cost of energy for the oven it's the cost of the baker who has to do the, the labor which is still quite expensive it's the cost of transport that might still be quite expensive it's the cost of operating the actual supermarket uh, and and paying retail workers in all yeah, their which wages. is all going up because of inflation which have all got i'm not sure the cma you know this 6p estimate it has to be you know uh, said that this is a CMA's own estimate. This is not what the supermarkets are saying is their margin, right? It's their estimate. And in order to make that estimate, they have to make all kinds of assumptions about how much people are being paid, how much the guy who's you know, behind the till is, is being paid, what these companies are paying for their petrol and diesel in the first place. We don't know what kind of long-term contracts they're on. Now, I'm not saying there isn't passive collusion. There may well be you know, uh, tacit collusion um, within uh, different petrol stations, but it's, very uh, trivial if it does exist and we know that supermarkets are incredibly competitive i mean there's there really is no more competitive industry than the british supermarket and their, their profit margins are tiny i think there's tiny there's tiny and they haven't been going up so okay yes they're making a profit but if a business doesn't make a profit it, it can't you know, ceases to right. exist i just don't see how basically i don't see how this is any business of the cmas um because it's not anti-competitive even if the supermarket is doing what they say they are, which is that Asda is, you know, realised it wasn't a charity and decided it didn't need to sell its petrol at 5p less than everybody else, it was going to sell it at 2p less than everybody else. And then other supermarkets thought, well, we can get away with selling at another 2p. That's, that's not price fixing. That's not anti-competitive. That is, at worst, supermarkets are fixing their prices based in part on what their competitors are doing. That's what every business does. Mm. It's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. There, it seems weird to me and to pick on Asda in particular when they admit that they're selling their petrol diesel cheaper than anybody else and say, you're the bad guys because not only should you be selling it cheaper than everyone else, you should be selling it this much cheaper than everybody else to bring down everyone else's prices. And this is just overreach, isn't it, from the CMA? I mean, it, yeah, it seems insane, especially slightly insane when the, the highest cost in petrol is not, in fact, anything to do with supermarket profits. It's right. to do with government taxes. It's which, taxed by far the biggest Which may problem. or may not have justification. You know, there's a reason to charge tax on, on petrol. You know, people, somebody's going to pay for the roads and there's an environmental cost. But if, if you're going to talk about the cost of petrol, the, the government has a more direct way they could do it. It'd probably be inflationary, but they, they could make it uh, cheaper, at least in theory, by, by cutting the taxes. Sure, which it which did by, what, 5p a, yeah. a while ago. And that was passed through to the, the consumer pretty quickly. You know, it's just it, it's just very weird and kind of, on the face of it, unlikely that an incredibly competitive market like this would suddenly, in the space of three years, become a cosy kind of quasi-cartel. And it's an extraordinary claim that needs extraordinary evidence, yeah. basically. And I don't think the CMA has come anywhere close to providing yeah. adequate evidence. Just broadening out that discussion a little bit, I think this is a, a, a topic you were just kind of hinting on a moment ago, this, this more general idea about profiteering um, across the economy. Um, and we've had this report out from uh, the IMF, I think it was last week, which suggested that, well, it seems like a, a certain proportion of um, increased prices can be attributed not to increased import prices, but to increased profits. Now, I think Julian Jessup, who's an IEA economics fellow, Ryan Bourne, who used to be at the IEA, is now at Cato, wrote a good article in the Times. They both highlighted um, very effectively the notion that the alternative when you have a mismatch of demand and supply, that is, you have too much money chasing too few goods. If you don't allow prices to rise, then the result is effectively shortages. Um, it, it's it's the, the, market, um, the, the, the market fact that there is too much demand and not enough supply might be, part of that might be that um, profits temporarily go up because wages 
are a bit sticky. You know, wages move more slowly. We yeah. negotiate wages once a year, once every couple of years, or whatever it may be. Whilst profits can go up, relative prices can go up relatively quickly. So the dis- it's more of a story about the distributional consequences. Mm of the inflation which is underlying in the economy than it is anything to do with the market power. Now, you would expect that then to, to dissipate over time so that the, the, if the profit margins do go up during an inflationary spike, they would then come back down again. Yeah, I mean, I would urge people to read Ryan's article in particular. I think it was in The Telegraph, was it? In, in The Times, yeah. In The Times, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a subtle point that you can understand why people would, would miss that. But, you know, it's absolutely the case. But it, again, you come back to this question of, you know, if these guys have the power, to set prices like this and get people to keep paying them and get all their competitors to charge and say, why aren't they doing this all the time? Why has this only just come about when you happen to have an enormous increase in the money supply and double-digit inflation? Why is it probably not going to be happening in 18 months' time? Are these companies suddenly become more altruistic? You know, So, I mean, the whole argument is, is silly, and it's silly in some ways for simple reasons and in other ways for, for rather more nuanced reasons. The other... Um issue I was keen to also um, get your thoughts on are perhaps uh, there's a kind of broader issue though in the UK economy that there's a lack of um, shock absorption from uh, higher levels of demand. And what I'm basically getting at here is um, there might even be some truth that there isn't enough competition in uh, the supermarkets for for petrol. But perhaps a key reason for that is because it's very difficult to get planning permission if you wanted to set up a new petrol station um, or a new supermarket. And the cost of rent is very high for these supermarkets because uh, they require a a lot of retail space often. And and generally speaking, we haven't allowed enough um, both housing, but we also haven't allowed enough of all sorts of different kind of corporate and business use of, of um, space. And we also have you know, all sorts of various other regulations that make business a, a lot less dynamic than it should be and a lot less able to respond to increased um, so, um, demand mm. in, in times when you might want them to. Yeah, I mean, when a lot of these supermarkets were being built in the 80s and 90s, people were complaining that they were closing down the local petrol station, you know, putting the local petrol pump guy out of business and the local shops out of business. Uh, you know, people complain about the supermarkets for driving such a hard bargain with farmers, where at the same time saying they're charging you know, prices that are too high. Um, it, it's not very consistent. But yeah, the CMA is blaming a lack of competition, and its solution isn't to have more competition. Not that I actually think you need it in the supermarket industry. I think there's, you know, especially now you've got Aldi and Little in there. It's, in, it, yeah. it's hard to see how adding another couple of supermarkets would would, would drive down prices further. Um, but anyway, that's not their that's not their answer. They're not saying we need more competition. They're saying we need a website from the government that's just copying what some other websites already doing. It's it's pretty fatuous, isn't it, when it comes down to it? You know? Well, Chris, it's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining the IEA podcast. If you are enjoying uh, the IA's podcast, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider or you can watch the IA podcast on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to learn more about the IA's work, you can visit IA.org.uk.